Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you for listening. So, uh, lots of stuff to get to today. Um, thank you once again for your patience uh, in regards to last week when I did not have an actual episode, uh, but just had a number of updates. And speaking of such, I do have more of them for you. Uh, so this will be so this is going up on Thursday as always. So I want to let those of you in the Orlando area, I want to let you know that tomorrow I will be at the Wyndham Resort in Orlando uh, as part of the International Christian Film Festival. I'm going to have a table all set up and I will be giving a talk called Everybody Hates Critics uh, at 3 p.m. So if you are interested, um, you can just head to uh, the hotel itself. You can go to morethanonelesson.com and click on International Christian Film Festival. Uh, It will cost $15 to just get in for that day. And you can see me and you can see the various other talks or you can uh, go to any of the films that are screening. So uh, if you would like to come to that, I would love to to see you and talk to you. So uh, that is a thing you can do. While I am there, I will be at my table. I will hawk. I will be hawking my wares, uh, which includes my book worth watching, which I am now taking pre-orders uh, on. Uh, specifically, if you live in the United States and Canada, I do not yet have the money to ship overseas. So uh, that will be fifteen dollars for uh, a book of my reviews and essays. And like I said, it's a pre-order. We will start getting the the full shipment in probably in the next uh, couple of weeks, and then I will uh, send them out. So uh, I would appreciate that if you wanted to do it. And then there's a couple new things on the website. So Bob Connolly is working his way through his 10 favorite movies of all time, and he uh, wrote a rather long article about A Fish Called Wanda, um, which is a wonderful comedy that I really love and is uh, raunchy in some ways and kind of dumb in other ways, but also remarkably smart. It's, it's a really great, uh, really great movie. Uh, and then Nate over at Thimble Rigs Arc, he reviewed the film The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, which I believe is actually... Um, about to be released on video. So uh, you can listen to that. I really like what Nate has been doing over on that podcast. So lots of stuff to do on the website, lots of stuff to, uh, to do in Orlando specifically, and lots to get to. So we are going to be talking about James Gray's The Lost City of Z, and already we're in a quandary. Do we say Z or do we say Z? There's only one person that can answer that question, and that is my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hi. What's your take on this? Oof. I didn't even think about that until it got uh, to the point in the movie where he said that, and I was yeah. like, oh yeah, because they're British, so they would say Z. Yeah. So I don't know. Here's, okay, so I've been saying Z because that's, that is how the characters refer to it Mm -hmm. um friend of the show jason eakin told me that in an interview james gray himself says z oh yeah and i had the thought that when it comes right down to it the letter z we say z Mm -hmm. when the the brits at this time when they look at the letter z they say z and so uh, it's not like a pronunciation thing. It's not like a different language. It's simply that's the letter and whatever you're going to say, whatever you say, that's what you should say. So I'm fine to say Z. I'm fine to say Z. What do you have a preference? Not really. I've been saying Z and I keep forgetting about okay. it that uh, that he said it differently in the movie. And then, yeah. and if 
if I say Zed, then I can't help but think of Bobcat Goldthwait in the Police Academy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now that is a lost city I would be interested in visiting. <laughs> I think that's what British people mean when they when they are sure. saying the last letter of the alphabet. There. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, like the character was named after the old British Empire and just uh, as a tribute to them because those police academy movies, they run deeper than you'd think. There's a lot in there. Um, I've been thinking about police academy lately, not merely because of the name Zed, though that does contribute. That helps. Um but, uh, so in my talk, uh, that I'll be giving at the, uh, Christian film fest, you're going to do like a synopsis of each of the police. Academy yes. Movies? It's all about how, uh, if you think in just the right way, you can mount a defense of any terrible movie or franchise. No, what was, what was in the first draft of my talk, uh, when I'm a little bit more defensive about film critics okay. um, is I've seen a number of articles online that say, you know, 10 times critics got it wrong. And it goes back and looks at, you know, movies from 20, 30 years ago, sometimes older mm-hmm. and says that, you know, critics didn't really re- really embrace this movie, but now it is beloved and, and critics now look back on it and think it's really special. And so like, uh, these critics got it wrong. And I thought like, you know, and so in my talk again, first draft, I, I don't actually have this in there now. It's like, there's no, there's no list of all the times the audiences got it wrong. Cause I got to say, there's probably more of them. There are six acad- uh, police Academy movies. Yeah. Are there only six? There might even be there more. might be one more. Uh, <laughs> I think right around five is when they stopped being uh, released in theaters. Yes. Um, now I don't remember. Okay, so let's see. There's Police Academy. Okay. And then I don't remember like Police Academy Two, Back in Training. Back in Training. Now, which one is Citizens on Patrol? Is that three or four? I think that's four. Okay. And I know <sighs> that one is uh, Mission to Moscow. Because it just makes sense why, you know, these people would be sent to Moscow. Yes, of course. Now, you watched all of these movies? I watched, like, four of them. Because I was was working for... uh, I was writing a project for a guy who said he wanted the movie to have kind of like a broad comedy thing. And one of the comparisons he gave was Police Academy. And I had never seen any of them. So, I, I... For, like five dollars bought a thing that was four of the movies in one set and i thought that that sounds about right for me oh one of them i think number five they go to miami or something like that like the miami assignment or something because i picture i picture the cover and it involves uh there's like a gator on the front trying to (laughs) trying to get one of them yeah of course so you know now that i'm thinking i think three might be back in training i think two they're it, oh, their first assignment. I think that's there what it's called. Go. All right. <laughs> and three is, uh, I guess the for their first assignment doesn't go so well. So yeah, they're back like, in training. Look, guys, you're going to have to go back. <laughs> and that's the point where Zed has decided he wants to make something of himself and he's going to join the force. Yes, because he is the villain of the second film. And then yes. uh, my guess is audiences liked him and so despite him being a villain they decided let's bring him back but he's a good it's like the terminator (laughs) um so anyway there was a police academy cartoon and action figures and i seemed to and i enjoyed both when i was younger Mm -hmm. i was probably seven and there's no way i watched those movies Mm -hmm. Uh, my parents would not have allowed that but i watched that uh, i watched that cartoon series and i enjoyed those uh I enjoyed those action figures. Yeah. 
And then when I got older, as tends to happen, when I got older, I watched the movies themselves and I was like, wow, these are very different. <laughs> um, and that's something that happened a lot in the late eighties, early nineties. Like there was a RoboCop cartoon with action oh, figures. Oh yeah. I had a bunch of the action figures to yeah. RoboCop. And again, a, a movie that children should never no see. Way. Oh, they would love it. There's no question <laughs> about it. But uh, yeah, they should. Or they'd be, be terrified, but it splits pretty Probably evenly. Probably a combination both of both. Yeah. You know, that, uh, that guy who's disintegrating and gets splattered all over a car is something that would have disturbed me as a kid. And indeed Spoilers. it did. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Um, I didn't say who it was, That's just true. that it anybody. happens. Yeah. Oddly enough, it happens to RoboCop. That <laughs> film does not end the way you think it would. Um, okay. Now that we've talked about Police Academy, which is the natural extension of talking about the lost city of Z. And RoboCop. And RoboCop. Uh, so, okay. A little bit of, of lead up. You know, listener, chances are you have not seen The Last City of Z. It got a, a not a limited release, but not a not a huge one either. Um, it showed at a number of theaters here in Los Angeles, but not very many. So I'm going to assume there are entire cities that it did not come to uh, in the U.S. Um, so by the time I saw it, it was heavily praised by a, a number of film critics that I trust. And I mean, they were... They were ecstatic about it. They were very, they were hyperbolic about how great it was. And so I was like, okay, well, so far this year, I'd only been seeing, you know, mainstream blockbusters and, and stuff like that. And so I thought, well, this will be an opportunity to go and, and uh, see something that's a bit more respectable. And as I, cause I had seen a trailer for it um, when I saw Kong Skull Island and the trailer made it look like more of an adventure and then I read the reviews and I thought like, okay, so this is not a full on, it's not Congo where Josh, you are the endangered species. Me? Yes, exactly. Oh, precisely geez. you. It's a good thing I didn't see that movie. Um, although you know what? Congo is playing at the arrow on the 27th and there's no question <laughs> I'm going to go see it. Um, anyway, so, uh, so I went to see it and I was, I was not blown away like some of my uh, fellow online critics, um, but I liked it more than, than some. I liked it more than you. I liked it more than our friend Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I think on Letterboxd, I gave it four stars. I'll probably drop it down to three and a half um, because it's, it's a film that there's a lot about it I like, and I think it does add up to a, a cohesive whole, but it also kind of keeps me at arm's length. And that's not necessarily the film's fault. I don't think it's, I don't think it's trying to be an overly emotional film drawing you in or anything like that, but it's just not the kind of thing that I enjoy. Um, so the story, it's based on a true story about this guy, uh, Percy Fawcett, who is a, a British uh, military man who uh, in, in the early 1900s, who is called upon to go to South America and basically just like make a, like chart a map or something like that. Correct. Yeah. It's like uh, charting the border between Bolivia and Peru. I think, I think it's that. Yes. And I, I wish I could uh, remember, but, uh, and, and so he goes and does that and actually gets essentially recalled immediately. Like that he's, it's not necessary for him to do that anymore, but he starts to kind of fall in love with the jungle and he finds proof of a much more advanced civilization. And at this time, um, you know, uncharted places in South America and Africa were just seen as like, all right, these people are savages. They are not like us. They are not civilized really in any way at all. They're, they're as primitive as can be. And so he finds pottery and he finds just 
you know, remnants of things. And so he goes back to uh, the UK and says, I, I think there's more going on here than we thought. And he gets, uh, and they, you know, they jeer at him and they, they laugh at him, but, and he slowly but surely starts to develop an obsession with going to this lost city. Um, and he calls it Zed, uh, named after the last letter of the alphabet, because in his mind, it is like the final piece, the final, uh, you know, not necessarily like missing link in, in an evolutionary standpoint, but you know, it might answer some questions about just the development of society. Mm. Um, both, uh, you know, independent of, you know, the British empire and such. And so, uh, so it's basically about these, uh, I think it boils down to three expeditions to, uh, to the jungles of South America. And each one is a little bit different. And over, over the course of the film, you see this, this guy, uh, Percy Fawcett played by Charlie Hunnam. You see him start to change and become a bit more obsessive about what it is he is doing. And so it's based on a true story. I'm, we're going to speak in spoilers. It's the thing you can look into, uh, if you want, it is worth looking into. It's an interesting story. Um, but yeah, he eventually returns one last time and people seem to, people seem to believe in him more on that third one. He has, you know, not necessarily a sponsor, but, uh, there are people paying for it and, you know, newspapers are following his journey and then he was never heard from again. And mm. so nobody knows exactly what happened to him. It's assumed that a, uh, a, a tribe of, um, indigenous people killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting story. One I didn't know. One of the big things I didn't know about it is that I didn't know that, <laughs> As recently as a hundred years ago, uh, that British people were still th- still using the word savage. You know, it, doesn't, it just seems like something that would have been over with, like in the seventeen and eight, maybe eighteen hundreds. Yeah. Um, but I guess you know, no offense to British listeners, but when you're thinking of like these really stuffy guys, uh, I guess it fits. I mean, I they're mean, probably everyone's <laughs> kind of savages, yeah. right? I was going to say like, I'm sure they were still referring to the, to the Yanks as, you know, the colonists or yeah. something. At if that we point. don't use shrimp forks, we're savages <laughs> and not even for shrimp. Oddly enough, that's really uncouth. Um, so yeah. So, and I, I can dig more into what I liked about the film, uh, in a moment. Uh, but I do know, as I said, I do know that I liked the movie more than you did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is it you hate about this film so much? <laughs> I just, just everything, yeah. you know, just its attitude. You and... actually refuse to believe that those savages were uh, civilized. They can't make things. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I, I, I did not enjoy the film <laughs> and I think there were, there were parts of it I kind of liked, but, uh, trying to think where to like summarize without diving into two specific things right away. Right. Um, I think first of all, it, I did not know it was a true story Oh, okay. until it got about maybe two thirds of the way through. And I was thinking this, this movie is structurally a mess. Mm-hmm. It must be based on something real that yeah. requires it to jump back and forth. Like, there is a uh, after the second expedition, it starts talking about World War One, and I think surely they're not going to go to World War One and show us part of World War One, and then there we are in the trenches. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, this movie is all over the place, and I yeah. that that's the point when I was like, this must be a real guy. 
And um, apparently they even reduced it. They like simplified it because apparently he went back and forth way more than more, three yeah, times. Yeah, more times. Um, and I guess, <laughs> I guess they figured they couldn't make, make that interesting for that long. But um, I think that was primarily the thing like it it felt like it was trying to do something like for instance lawrence of arabia does where it goes it has this sort of mysterious central character and he goes on a lot of exploits that become bigger and and you know more involved in things but uh there's not as much to this story as there is to lawrence of arabia certainly i mean that dealt with war and that's right going to be a bit more in depth in certain ways right so so that was one thing then um the uh we can we'll probably get into this a little bit more later but i felt like thematically the film felt a little schizophrenic sure uh from time to time it seems to have different themes and then i think those themes kind of end up being at odds with each other a little bit and not reconciled um, especially with the very ending that's actually something that i like about the movie is is, and it and it's honestly yeah i i definitely thought of lawrence i thought of david lean in general Mm -hmm. as i was watching this film and i think you're meant to there's even a little there's a shot that is lawrence-esque where it it there's a an an abrupt cut where um uh charlie hunnam takes um Robert Pattinson's like booze while they're on a, a boat or a train and he throw and he like uh, pours it down the drain and you actually see and you see a very big uh, you know an extreme close up of the the alcohol like slowly like dripping towards the drain and then it smash cuts to a oh, to, to a train, train yeah and it's like the match yeah like, cutting to the the sunrise in Lawrence yeah. and so um, but yeah that there's something about that messiness of theme which will definitely be reducing down in this episode. But mm-hmm. there's something about that messiness of theme that felt organic to me in the same way that, you know, structurally it's all over the place and thematically it's all over the place, but in a way that I feel like a, a person's life, especially somebody who deals with obsession, mm-hmm. like the way that would be that the film doesn't know a hundred percent how it feels about that. And it's, it's a thing that I, usually don't like but by locking into a character who is enigmatic and complicated and sometimes frustrating sometimes inspiring it's something i was more okay with than i usually am yeah i mean it it felt to me like this was a script that went through several revisions and different writers wanted it to be about different things like one writer wanted it to be about how uh this guy shouldn't just chase greatness because there's more to life than that. And then one writer wanted it to be about how he shouldn't abandon his family. And then another one like just threw out the family thing entirely and was, was uh, like fine with that ending. Like I really kind of hate that ending. Um, And then uh, there's like a, for a minute there, it's about uh, like progressivism, sort of, you know, in the sense of like, yeah. uh, like he he calls out the church in that one thing, being yeah. like, oh, the the church is holding people back from uh, beliefs about yeah. uh, human development, which was kind of out of nowhere. But 
I don't know. I feel like it couldn't decide on one of those things and then ends up kind of being about none of them. Do you think the film made this way, you know, where it's still, it's shot the same way, same performers, the whole deal. Do you think it would have been potentially more effective as say a three part miniseries where they can delve into those things a little bit more? I think it might've been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I feel like in a way like that, in a similar way they did uh, the way Soderbergh did Che, even though that's mm-hmm. two films, not even a miniseries, but each one kind of has different themes. And and I think I feel like it works there, but I feel like if you try to force both of those into one movie, it might not be as effective. Although I will say you mentioned uh, with the same cast, um, I like most of the cast in the movie. I, I Robert Pattinson is like a black hole of charisma, I think, in general, really. I, I, I've i seen him in a few films, and I feel like yeah. everyone, I'm like, there's there feels like there's nothing to him. I actually I, I actually like his performance in this. And then I uh, the one that, that kind of put me over was Cosmopolis. I don't know if you've seen Cosmopolis. I haven't. It's one where it's a... It's a very specific type of performance that I think is, is really special. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this... Uh, it sounds strange. Like there's not, the character is not going to explain much, mm-hmm. uh, but in the relationship of, of Charlie Hunnam and, and Robert Pattinson and the idea that the character is just always there. Um, like I did get a sense of, of unspoken loyalty. Um, and I, and some of it was in like a certain confidence uh, in his performance, though I will say, and I said this on Battleship Pretension, that the design of the character, I couldn't help but think of Torgo from Manos, the Hands of Fate. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you just, like, as he's like walking through the water, you just kind of expect that. But yeah, I, yeah, I like his performance uh, to, to such a degree that I wish he was given more to do. Hmm. Um, I wonder if the character on one hand, like, I kind of like that they're just not going to give you more than they want to give. But at the same time, like I want to see more of this character. I want to know more of what makes him tick, but yeah. yeah Cause I, I feel like we got really nothing like at the end there when he's like, well, I have a wife and kids now. It's like, yeah. Oh, I guess he has a, a life outside of yeah. just standing near this other guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I liked, I think I liked the other performances. I liked, I like Charlie Hunnam. I think he's actually pretty good. Um, and uh, I had a, a little fun thing in that first scene with uh, Ian McDiarmid in it where I was mm-hmm. like, who is that guy? And I was yeah. like, oh, that's Emperor Palpatine. It's like, hey, I know that guy. Don't trust him. Don't do <laughs> yeah. anything he's going to, he tells you to do. <laughs> um, and who's the guy who played, is it on here? The, um, I think it's Manly, the guy who goes with them on the second expedition. Oh, uh, that's uh, Which is, James Murray. Oh, he's Angus McFadden. Yeah, who was, who it was in Braveheart and yes. he was in a number of other things. Yeah. yeah, he was good. I liked him. I did, and honestly, that second expedition because you can kind of break it up. You yeah. know, the film is divided into maybe not three acts, but it uses those expeditions to just sort of approximate a three act structure, mm-hmm. and he dominates that second act. Yeah in a way that I thought was really interesting. And immediately I looked that guy up. 
It's all true. Everything really? about that guy is wow. true. <laughs> that I, that was my favorite part about the movie. I think was yeah. that second expedition. Yeah. Um, and knowing what's sort of behind it, I, I kind of again at that point not knowing that it wasn't a real story, I was hoping that was going to be the rest of the movie. Yeah, and I mean, I do like the third act because it is such an interesting development. It feels rushed, though, mm-hmm. especially like we need at least one scene. I guess we kind of get it. So, OK, uh, after the second expedition, World War One breaks out and, you know, uh, Percy Fawcett is a military guy. So he goes into the trenches and uh, and he, you know, what with mustard gas and such, he, he essentially loses uh, his sight for a while mm-hmm. and his son or his whole family has at this point started to feel very distant from him because he it would appear he prefers to be in the jungle than back home with his family and his his oldest son uh, eventually played by tom holland who people will know as spider-man now um but he uh he starts to really resent his father but then once once uh, percy fawcett is is just like laying in this hospital can't see is just completely vulnerable at that point like his son starts to uh, sympathize with him and they, and they bond and it's a nice moment. I like it a lot. It just, I would have liked one more scene before that to show the, the, the change in the son. Yeah. Um, and then their relationship after that, I think is interesting. But again, like there are jumps made that, and I know the movie is already long, but there are yeah. jumps made. That's just like, yeah. Part of me would have been okay if you'd made a, a two hour and 45 minute epic, like just go full on David lean, mm-hmm. make three, turn it into three hours and like really develop this. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been, would have been better or the miniseries thing like we're talking mm-hmm. about. Well, and when you have a character that we, that is real, but we don't know too much about him. <sighs> I feel like you can do more with that character. Like this movie would have been more interesting to me if he was kind of like almost driven mad with this obsession of finding it. And then maybe in the third act, like he finds out that his like his son ends up just like him. Mm, And then like cradle and silver spoon. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be great if like that was the final thing is like, they're both in the jungle. They're both going to die. And his son is like, like turns against him because they have to find this place. Like that's more. And maybe it's because something about the journey down the Amazon into it. Like, I want to see that whole heart of darkness or Yuri wrath of God type of thing. And or some Fitzcarraldo in there. Yeah, I think there was a hint uh, of Fitzcarraldo when there's the opera in there. I felt like that has to be a, a, uh, um, an homage of some sort, but knowing that Aguirre Wrath of God is basically the same thing. It's a, it's a movie about uh, an expedition down the Amazon where they disappear and they don't know what happened to yeah. them. Um, so like, I like what happens to that character on that journey more than right. what happens to this character. Well, and, and especially because, you know, Fawcett and his son, so they go the third expedition his son who's now in his late teens early 20s uh goes with him and they're never seen again but the film you know is free to hypothesize what might have happened and and i find a certain degree of beauty in how it is depicted um you know because 
in a way, as strange as it may sound, I'm thinking of something like Inglorious Bastards, where Tarantino, it, it, he's making the movie, he's telling the story as he wishes it happened. Mm -hmm. And in this, it's like, we don't know what happened to this man, but we do know that he was eventually proven to be fairly right by mm -hmm. history. And, and we know, and he know, he never, we know he never made it out. So wouldn't it be nice to just look back and think well of him? Mm -hmm. Um, not, not change it, not make that he just like traipses out and is, you know, hoisted up on people's <laughs> shoulders or anything like that. But wouldn't it be nice if we did that? And it's, it's a choice that I'm, I'm not sure if I agree with, but I do like the idea of, um, as opposed to just full on, they, they both go crazy and, mm. and everything's terrible. <laughs> Fade out. You know, it's, you know, I know you like Herzog and, uh, uh yeah, you know, I'd like that ending more, um, but, uh, you know, what I think would have been interesting again, from, a from, a uh, David Lean perspective. Mm -hmm. What I think would be interesting is something like Lawrence, where admittedly there, his death is treated as a sort of a framing device, mm -hmm. um, but his death is so abrupt, mm -hmm. you know. And wouldn't it be interesting where you don't make it overly cynical or overly fatalistic, but you also don't romanticize it? It's just a matter of fact. Like they go in and are killed and you can even maybe, and like abruptly just like an arrow in the chest or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you can even have them like, as they're, as they lay there dying, like they look at each other and like hold hands or, or something like that. You mm -hmm. can, you can allow that without turning it into this much larger, uh, thing, even though I think that larger thing is visually beautiful. Um, so it's, it's, it's a film where there are some odd choices made. And I think, I don't think I have ever seen a James Gray film. And I know there are people, he made The Immigrant, he made Two Lovers, he made mm -hmm. uh, We Own the Night, and I think a film called The Yards. And yeah, there are critics that, that love him. They lo People loved The Immigrant, they loved Two Lovers. Um, and I just haven't gotten to his stuff yet, but based on this, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued mm -hmm. to see the type of movie this guy would make, because he does seem to be a bit at arm's length from things, which mm -hmm. is something I sometimes like when it's Robert Altman and other times I don't when it's Stanley Kubrick. Um, and so I, I'd be curious. I think the immigrants on Netflix, I'd be interested in watching it. It is. It's been in my queue for like two and a half yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do like the way he directs. Like I like, yeah. uh, I like the sort of, I like his visuals. I like the, I mean, cuts like the, the water with the train yeah. are, are cool, uh, without being too showy and, and he makes there's a there's a scene in during the second expedition where um well in the first expedition um Foss and his men are attacked by by uh the indigenous peoples uh I'll just say natives I want to mm. say native american but that's not actually true um that is something referred to that that I think we used to refer to like north american is that only referred to North American? That's what I've come to understand. Huh. So, but I'll just say natives anyway. Hmm. Um, so they're attacked by natives and they, and they get past them, but not without casualties. The second time around, they're attacked by natives, but they're kind of expecting it. And he chooses and, and Fawcett chooses instead to, to do something a little bit different. He slowly, but surely makes his way towards the natives and, and is cautious, but is sort of maybe not accepted, but is warily brought into their, into their tribe and shown like their village and that sort of thing. 
Um, and what I like is that sequence, while we're pretty sure, once again, he's not going to die, mm-hmm. it is shot from a distance. It is not, the camera doesn't follow him the whole way. Instead, mm-hmm. the camera is behind him, sort of where his men are. Mm-hmm. St- we're standing on the other side of the river, watching, waiting for him to just be mur- be murdered. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice moment. There's no music or anything like that. It's just a... Uh, it puts you in the position of like the spectator, not necessarily knowing that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. It's a good choices like that. I like, yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the kind of distance I like, Mm -hmm. um, because it actually, it might not put you into it. You won't see things from his point of view, but from somebody's point of view, most certainly, um, in that case, probably Robert Pattinson's. Um, so yeah, there, he, he does make some choices. It's a film that I, that I, it's for me, it's good, often very good, every once in a while great. But you also, I also see all the elements there for it to be consistently great mm-hmm. if they had just made a couple of tweaks here and there. Um, but I did want to briefly talk about uh, uh, some of the stuff that, that other people have singled out. Um, Charlie Hunnam is a, is an actor that I think, well, I was first introduced to him, uh, David and I, when we lived in Chicago, he was interested in watching, uh, the British queer as folk. I was young. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like his first thing. He was super young. Hmm. Um, and he's quite good in it. And then he plays Nicholas Nickleby, uh, in the big screen adaptation of that from like, oh, I think I saw that. Yeah. And I remember thinking he's really good in that. Um, you know, like when you're in a Dickens adaptation, unless you're Ebenezer Scrooge, like if you are <laughs> Oliver Twist or you are Nicholas Nickleby, it's very easy to get lost amongst the more interesting, colorful yeah. characters. Um, but he holds his own and he really does become the, the heart of that film as he should. And so, but then almost anything I had seen beyond that, I remember thinking like he's only okay. Um, and then I saw the first season of Sons of Anarchy and he's the lead of that. And he is, again, he's fine. He, he does the job. He's serviceable at best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I saw reviews of the lost city of Z, people were saying like, oh, this performance is revelatory. And I remember thinking like revelatory for Charlie Hunnam or revelatory <laughs> in general. I think it is a. I think it's his best performance, either that or, or Nicholas Nickleby. I think it is a solid performance. And at, at certain points, it, it, it it's really effective. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where he is arguing with his wife, played by Sienna Miller. That scene is really, really good. Um, and again, we got to go back to that second expedition. I think that is where the film shines on every level. Mm-hmm. Because I think Charlie Hunnam, like, when in his frustration, his, his excitement to do what he needs to do, but his frustration that he's bringing along this guy that is preventing that. Yeah. But he wants to think well of the guy. Mm-hmm. So essentially in the second expedition, they go back to, uh, the Amazon and they bring with them a guy named James Murray, who was part of the Shackleton, uh, I saw an IMAX film called Shackleton's Antarctic Adventure. I was like, isn't it adventure? I mean, I know everybody lived, but I think they'd rather that not have happened where a ship got stuck in the ice and they had to just live that way for a while Mm -hmm. and, you know, terrible conditions and that sort of thing. So, um, so this guy, James Murray played by Angus McFadden, he 
is well known in like the exploring community and he's very he's a champion of of Percy Fawcett's and so he goes with them and he's older and he's kind of overweight and he's just kind of gotten comfortable and he slows them down and it becomes a problem and mm-hmm. you can see in Percy that he like James Murray believed in me maybe one of the reasons this expedition is happening is because he's good yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the only ones on. who believed in him yeah and now he's slowing us down and he seems to be you know and and Murray seems to be bothered by this and is kind of whining and is selfish and is just not doing the things necessary to to make this trip a a, a success mm-hmm. and and I think and Angus McFadden is doing a good job I haven't seen him in a part like that before um and I think Charlie Hunnam and just in his disappointment and in his frustration and the slowly extinguishing excitement, uh, uh, joy of, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm out here again. And just like, this is different. It's not like it was before. Um, and then when they go back to, when they go back to England and it turns out Angus, Angus McFadden is alive cause they set him off on a, on a horse, their last pack mule or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, they assumed he was going to die. And then yeah. there he is in England and he's going to sue them yeah. <laughs> because he thought they were, they did not treat him well on the expedition and all that. And that scene at the, yeah. at the table, that's a good scene. It's a good scene for everybody. I think yeah. Charlie Hunnam really does a yeah. great job there. Um, so yeah, I think his performance is, is very good. Here's the thing. Let me ask you this. Uh, let me ask you if this is a fair criteria. Okay. Um, when I think of great performances, not merely good, not merely very good, but when I think of great performances, let's use that word revelatory again. I usually think I can't possibly imagine, I can't and don't want to imagine anybody else in this role. It is so iconic that, you know, um, when I think of my favorite performances, you know, like Robert Duvall and the Apostle or mm-hmm. something like that. I, it is so linked to him that it seems somehow wrong, like morally wrong to imagine anybody else in that performance. Charlie Hunnam is very, very good at times. Great. I could picture any number of actors in that perform in that character yeah, that I, might do better. I said before, I thought is I thought he's, he's good in it, but I, I, I think revelatory is yeah. overly hyperbolic. Yeah. Um, um I do think Sienna Miller's really good, though. Yeah, I, I don't think I've too. ever seen her. I I can't think of anything I've seen her. In. I know she's an American Sniper. I but saw that's that. It. Yeah, you know, is she getting pigeonholed as like the wife, the long suffering wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen something else she's in, and I can't think of it now. Oh, she's in Foxcatcher. I forgot that. Oh boy, I don't remember that at all. Unfortunately. She's- Probably um, somebody's long-suffering wife in that that's, one. I, I have is, to assume that's the case, is right? Is she uh, um, maybe Mark Ruffalo's, Mark Ruffalo's wife? wife? I think she might be. Well, there's not a lot of other role, like female no. roles in that film, so I have to assume that's it. Wow, yeah. what an odd turn of events for Sienna Miller. Her name's Nancy Schultz is the character, and they're both Schultzes, so yeah. she's either a sister or a yeah, that's wife a of one of them. But you know what? If she's a sister, she is a long-suffering sister. There's no question about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I she think, was in Live by Night too, which you said was another James Gray one. Or wait, no, We Own the Night. We was Own that. the Night. Never yeah, mind. Yeah. Live by Night is the Ben Affleck film. Yeah, or Live by Night, as I like to call it. Live by Night. <laughs> 
gangsters. Yeah. Oh, she was in High Rise too, which I didn't like. Yeah, you don't like much. You don't like movies. I, I like Ben Wheatley movies usually, but I didn't like that one. That's the one with uh, Tom Hiddleston, right? Yeah. I also don't like Tom Hiddleston, so that might be part of it. That's right. I forgot how much you hate uh, British actors. Um, <laughs> Just when they're named Tom Hiddleston. Admittedly, Hiddleston is a remarkably British name. Um, yeah. Hello, my name is Thomas Hiddleston. I mean, uh, almost apologize. as British as... British as uh, benedict cumberbatch yes that's true that is the most british um i apologize to any british listeners for my over exaggerated uh, british accent but honestly when talking about lost city of z it's hard not to do it because like any guy back home kind of talks like yeah that. they made them they were all kind of like <laughs> your stuffy stereotype british guy um but yeah and and so i i like i like all of the lead perform there's one lead performance i like all the other performances i think tom holland in his limited limited screen time does a really good job he has a he has a very interesting charisma um yeah he does and i'm i'm excited to see him as spider-man not that that you know not that it's going to be amazing or anything (laughs) though he is the amazing spider-man um is that what this one's called now no this one's just called spider-man um (laughs) the amazing spider-man was the uh the Andrew Garfield movies, which though he was very good, those movies are not uh, amazing. I'm, hasn't America, isn't America done with Spider-Man movies? Like here's the come thing. back in like 20 years, maybe, but there's money to be made. Uh, that's what it is. And people were very excited that like, Oh, well, Sony owned Spider-Man for a while, but now he's being brought into the Marvel cinematic universe and people like the way Marvel is, is handling characters. And so Mm. it's definitely going to be better than it was a moment ago. But to me, like those first two Sam Raimi movies are great, uh, precisely because there was no expectation of what a superhero movie was. And so he just made the movies he wanted to make. Um, I'm like so sick of Spider-Man movies. Like somebody was talking, I saw somebody recently tweet something about how like that was one of the movies they were excited about for this year. And I was like, seriously, I'm, I, yeah, could not care less. Like, Here's yeah, I uh, I was talking with somebody about uh, like the Marvel movies. I did see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and neither you nor I really liked the first one. This one is much much better. Oh yeah, it's it seems very clear to me that Marvel liked what James Gunn did with the first one, mm-hmm. and they ga- and gave him a free hand with the second one. It feels a lot closer to the James Gunn I know hmm. than than the first one. And then the director of Thor Ragnarok, which comes out this fall is the guy that made what we do in the shadows and for the wilder people that one i can't even believe that like it does look you know obviously you can't necessarily judge by trailers but this one definitely this film definitely looks tonally very different than certainly the other thor movies but also the other marvel films as well like how how what does that movie even look like like i don't know he does small scale comedies. Why would they put, put well, him on a Thor movie? And this, this fits into, sorry, everybody. I don't know how we wound up here, <laughs> but this actually, I will say, and maybe I'll link to it. That actually, doesn't it absolutely fit into what you and I were talking about on battleship? Oh, absolutely. With David? Yeah. And that's why at first I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then I thought, well, no, it's probably not actually because he's just a, a director who has, suddenly gotten a little bit of uh, of attention in the american yeah. markets and so they snatched him up and he's going to do whatever they want because he's a new zealand com- comedy guy who makes little movies and they're going to give him 20 million dollars or something so if he, if uh 
Maybe if he incorporates uh, Reese Darby into it, I'll be. Oh, I hope so. I feel like he would almost have to, right? <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, so yeah, Lost City of Z. I liked it, really liked it. I think at the moment is my it's my favorite movie of the year, but I've only seen ten movies this year. Um, I haven't seen that many this year either. And uh, and it's a film that I don't think I would necessarily see again, but. If you have the opportunity to see it in the theater, it is a very visually inter- a very visually striking movie that does just from the location scout uh, the location shooting element, it does evoke uh, David Lean and, and other such mm-hmm. filmmakers. Um, and I like that it wasn't too honestly. It may sound strange, but the the color was a little bit muted, but in a way I liked. Like it could they could have really had the color pop and really emphasize like how amazing this play. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they could have said like, well, let's try and get into Percy Fawcett's uh, mindset and really make this place look as lush and beautiful as it can. it's like, Mm. well, no, it's still a, it's just a place. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful, but it's also quite treacherous. Mm -hmm. And so just let it be kind of this muted thing and let it speak for itself rather than you commenting on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so it is not a film you would recommend. It sounds like, no, not really. I, I I think there's there's good stuff in it. I do like that second expedition in the Amazon, but I feel like I want to see more of the Amazon stuff. I, yeah. I feel like I I feel like his I wish his character uh, was something kind of different than what he is. I think they may have made him too noble, maybe because they want him to be uh, the the one voice that's advocating yeah. for the indigenous peoples of of Amazonia. Um, and I, I don't like that the ending suggests that he stayed and lived among them. That reminds me of, uh, um, man on the moon where it suggests that uh, Andy Kaufman's death was in fact, just another stunt. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is like similar to the Andy Kaufman thing. There are theories that, you know, about this guy, about Fawcett, that that's what, that's what really happened, but pretty much nobody believes that that's the case. And if they try to make the the argument in one part in the movie that he has neglected his family for too long, the idea that he would go with his one son, but then leave his other two children and wife behind, yeah. and that the wife would be happy about that, yeah. I, I can't reconcile that. And it would be one thing if she brought... Because she brings that compass in. Mm-hmm. This is all spoilers. Sorry, everyone. That's fine. <laughs> this, this is going to make more sense if you've seen it. But she brings this compass in, and it it is something that into the guy at the Royal Geographic Society, and it's it's this compass that Fawcett had said if he finds it, he would send that back to this particular guy. Yeah. Now it would be one thing if she brought that back and said someone found this, uh, you know, this compass of his. Right. And so it's a hint that maybe he's around, but she says that he said you like, you'd know what it means, which specifically would have to mean that he got at least to a point where he could have given this to somebody and had chosen to stay there and not come back. And I, I I don't think that's consistent with the character and I don't think that's consistent with the themes in the movie. Well, and if there's going to be, yeah, I agree with you. Like the compass thing is, is introduced really late in the film. And so it just felt like a little device. Yeah. Um, to, to add ambiguity, but I feel like the ambiguity that it adds is they're thinking only in one, in one term 
and not thinking about the implications. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, oh, maybe he's alive. Yeah. And they're not thinking what you're talking about, which is, well, I guess he hasn't learned his lesson. Yeah. Which is, this is a guy who, as he got older, did start to feel, in the film, it, it, it did start to feel uh, bad about what he had done to his family and was perfectly content to stay home for the rest of his life, if not for his son bringing him back into this. Um, yeah. And so then it's like, oh, we found it. Screw my wife. Screw my other children. Yeah. I'm here with my son. I'm here with enough family uh, to justify my staying. Yeah. Which um, then if you do have him as almost like a Daniel Plainview type character, then yeah. maybe that like that's more consistent, at least. I don't yeah. know. If they, maybe they don't want to do that with that character, but that like that's more believable. I recently um, went to a screening for a film called Churchill. It is about Winston Churchill in the couple days leading up to D-Day. He's played by Brian Cox. And it's a visually beautiful movie um, with, with great performances. But it falls into the trap that I talk about all the time with biopics, which is they're so eager to humanize this titanic figure who is seen as like whose flaws are seen as just kind of delightful foibles and and the filmmakers almost like well well they weren't all foibles you know Mm -hmm. and he's he was resistant to some stuff and he wasn't he kind of neglected his wife and blah 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 and they go so far in that direction um that idea of like warts and all Mm -hmm. and and it happens all the time with biopics that they do that and they forget what made this guy amazing in the first place and why they're even telling a story about him. Yeah. With Lost City of Z, um, putting aside the implication of the last part, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like they might go a little bit too far in the other direction where they don't develop the character enough so that he, he is really noble. I think the scene with he and with, with he and his wife, where they're arguing because she wants to go with him and he keeps telling her why it's not going to work for her or for mm-hmm. women or anything like that. And I feel like, honestly, I like that scene on a number of levels, not the least of which, you know, he's he's condemning the culture around him for their small-minded views on these savages and then he'll turn around and absolutely accept that culture yeah. with his wife. And I yeah. think the film understands that I think that's so. what he's doing. Yeah. Um, but uh, but aside from that scene, there's really not much else that suggests that he is a a deeply flawed person. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have that one other scene with the where the son, as a younger person, right. That's like, true. says something, and I believe him, he like, slaps him, right? Yeah, and he slaps him. So yes. that and it's the same type of scene. It's just yeah. and it's a short one also, but yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess if you add those two up, that's that's pretty good. But like in regards to the expedition, he is seen as as this kind of saintly guy. And I guess you can't really divorce the two, you know, mm-hmm. because he's this saintly guy with this expedition. He is not that with his family. Mm-hmm. And so and that's the thing is when you think about that, this idea that he only finally feels him like himself, like he can finally be the person he always wanted to be when he is on these expeditions, I feel like there's a lot to explore there. You yeah. know, it's a little bit, when you think about it, it's a little close encounters esque. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But the film doesn't delve as far into that as it would like. I think it's just, you know, on one level, I like the idea of a film that doesn't want to go out, doesn't, doesn't want to over explain somebody that maybe can't be explained. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, and when you do that, you know, there's going to be some, some conflict. There's going to be some contradictions that I'm okay with just in a very human way. But, uh, 
but at the same time, it's just, there's something to be said for, I'm reluctant to use the word simplification, but there's something to be said for, let's say, uh, organization, Mm -hmm. organization of theme, organization of, uh, story beats and character traits and that sort of thing where you can still embrace complexity. You can still, uh, you can still have some ambiguity. I mean, you mentioned there will be blood. Like that's a film that is dealing with so many levels, but it still feels very organized to Mm -hmm. me. And, and lost city of Z, you see these flashes of what the film could be. And if it just, it just, if it just went further down this one path or even a couple of paths and Mm -hmm. then bring them together, even if they conflict, I feel like it would be a more satisfying film. Yeah, Um, I think so. You know, and again, and I still, this is the kind of thing that keeps me from saying, I love it. There Mm -hmm. are things I love about it. I think an argument could be made. This is something that has been on my mind because of the the talk that I'll be giving. Um, it's a, it plays a big role. The idea of of a film coming together as a cohesive whole. I I'm not sure this film does that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are a lot of individual elements that are at times great. There are certain elements that are consistently great, but they're not mixed together in just the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you like to cook. I do. You know, and there. Are, <laughs> there are different ingredients that are themselves individually great. These are, these are really fresh. They're really good. But if you don't mix them in the proper proportions, it is a, you should just throw everything away. (laughs) Um, so I'm not suggesting people throw away lost city of Z, but, um, but I will, uh, move us into our companion film, which is a movie that, uh, I was excited to pick it because I also know it's a film you've been meaning to see for a while. So I thought like, ah, I'll just throw this to him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that is Barry Levi- Barry Levinson's 1991 film Bugsy, starring Warren Beatty, Annette Bening, Harvey Keitel, Ben Kingsley, Elliot Gould, Joe Mantegna, uh, and it is about the the gangster Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, and it's a film that I've loved for a long time. It's a film that um, that encompasses a lot of stuff. Um, Bugsy Siegel lived a very glamorous life, and the film is eager to bring that glamour into it mm-hmm. which then and it juxtaposes with the ugliness of the the gangster stuff that he is kind of trying to get away from not for any moral reason but because it's just not really it's not hitting with him anymore you know <laughs> just not into that anymore and he essentially he goes into he bugsy siegel is the guy who essentially had the idea for las vegas um well hang on sorry the <laughs> idea there was <laughs> That's not true. Las Vegas does exist. Uh, it's like three three buildings, but they are not the buildings that you think of. Yeah, uh, it's well, basically just like a little seedy bar that had that allows gambling. Here's here's the other thing about that too, though. Um, there was part earlier on in the film where they were playing a song, and I was like. I feel like that's an older song. And then I was like, actually, I'm not exactly sure when this is supposed to be taking place. Then started doing a little bit of research and there's a bunch of like, it's close together, but there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't line up time-wise in reality. And then I started looking at all that stuff and it was starting to bother me. So don't do that. If you're watching this movie, Yeah, just watch the movie. Then kind of like afterwards you could, I'm going to talk about some of that stuff and afterwards because it just interests me. But, uh, but yeah, part of that is the Las Vegas thing. So yeah. that's the only reason I bring that up now. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go ahead and say he's the guy that is uh, lar- largely credited with 
imagining Las Vegas as the thing that we know it to be now. Yeah. You saw it as an oasis in the middle of the desert, mm -hmm. you know, where people could go and do all kinds of horrible things. <laughs> but what's odd is I don't think he even saw it that way. I don't think he saw it as a den of sin. Mm. I think he saw it as a place where you could get away, maybe with the family. Um, and he convinced the mob that he was a part of to dump a lot of money into it. And he, this was his vision and he was a perfectionist. And so a lot of money got lost and he wasn't really keeping track of it at yeah. some point. He or says, he didn't seem to really care. Like, yeah, money's only dirty paper is a yeah. thing he says. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so eventually, um, the time comes and he's going to open his amazing casino and hotel. Uh, and it's just, it doesn't go, it doesn't go well. And so he goes back to Los Angeles and is assassinated by the mob. And then not long after Los Angeles, uh, Las Vegas, uh, absolutely explodes. And I think at the <laughs> end it says that, that the mob essentially saw like a, like several hundred million dollars worth of return on like the initial $3 million that invested. Or I just like watched that. it today. And I think it said that the, f I think it was that casino specifically the flamingo has over the years brought in over a hundred billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, and, and so that it's that idea, that idea that he was completely committed to this vision that he had that no one else can see. He literally, he goes out into a type of wilderness and sees something that no one else sees and he just commits to it and then loses his life as a result. And in retrospect, we realize, oh, eh, he was, he was pretty right, you know, <laughs> and, uh, the mob, which I assume is very introspective, um, <laughs> is saying like, yeah, I think we probably kind of overreacted. <laughs> well, weirdly, let's, uh, let's kick some money back to his family. <laughs> One of the other guys who was the head of that, Mm -hmm. kind of syndicate, which I think were, were called murder incorporated. <laughs> like they literally called themselves that. Um, but one of those guys, I guess never got in trouble or went to, well, the one who was extradited, uh, or, or, um, uh, no, the Luciano or Lu oh, Luciano. Luciano. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he he wrote a memoir. Apparently, yeah. I read all this stuff about his memoir, and I, I guess he never really got uh, in trouble because he was yeah went back to, out of the country. Whereas, and but I do think yeah. He, so he got extradited, but he never got he was never killed or or anything like yeah. that. Meyer Lansky, as far as I remember, was fine. He didn't have to leave. <laughs> he was the money guy. Yeah, and just kind of and he's played by Ben Kingsley in this. Yeah, one. and he just kind of kept his hands clean as far as what could be proven. Mm -hmm. And I think, cause I saw a film, uh, a TV movie called Lansky in which he was played by Richard Dreyfuss. Hmm. Um, and if I recall correctly, he lived to a ripe old age and died of natural causes. Three as a bird. That is amazing to yeah. me that that happens so much with those guys. Like we all knew they were. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a film that I really respond to on a number of levels. I definitely think so. Bugsy is played by Warren Beatty and I think it's my favorite performance of his either that or maybe like Clyde from Bonnie and Clyde yeah. but just it's certainly not the Warren Beatty we think of because there's he can be very charming and all that sort of thing you think of that like affable charismatic guy and yeah. he's still got that yes, but in a very like 
uh, in a menacing kind of way. Yeah. And I feel like a great example of that is when he, near the beginning of the film, he's in Los Angeles, he's just gotten there, and he sees a house that belongs to an opera star that he admires. Yeah. So he goes into the house, starts looking around, and then just buys the house from the guy. Yeah. But not because the guy's like, sure, I'll sell you my house, but yeah. because he just sets a bunch of money on the table and yeah. kind of affably and nicely just acts yeah. like he's buying the house, but makes it clear that it's not negotiable. Yeah, it's, cl- it's, it's obvious that there are... <laughs> There are three levels to Bugsy and probably the mob in general. The first is, I want this thing. Will you give it to me? The second is, here's a bunch of money. The third is, I'm murdering you. (laughs) And then I'm just taking it. Murder Incorporated. Murder Incorporated. (laughs) That's right. We actually incorporated. Um, And so, uh, and yeah, and that's the thing is like, there's such an element. You're right. Like there's this menace. Like he puts money on the table and there's just this unspoken thing that's like, we all know what the next step is. Yeah. And so take that money. He, he like, he flies off the handle in that scene a little bit about, uh, the, uh, because the opera singer uses the name Bugsy, which, yeah. you know, that's a theme throughout. He does not like to be called that. Yeah. Um, but he never directly threatens this guy. Yeah. Like he, he shows that he can get angry and volatile about the Bugsy thing, but he, everything he says is still very accommodating and yeah. very like, isn't this nice? I'm giving you twice what you paid for your house, Yeah, but it's the guy's afraid and there's reason for him to be afraid. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really great performance and, and Annette Benning, she had been in stuff before she was in the grifters the year before, but, uh, uh, this is the film that she and Warren Beatty fell in love on and they are still around. Uh, they're That's still together. I totally forgot that they're married in real life. Yeah. And when I saw Last Days in the Desert, they were my uh, they were in my theater. Oh yeah, it was very exciting. That's cool. Um, you know, it's I mean, it's awesome to see Annette Benning because she's a, she at this point is is a very well known actress and and one of my favorites in, in fact. But uh, Warren Beatty is like Hollywood royalty. Oh yeah. So to see him in real life and then like and we're both like in the men's room, it's like oh, okay, well, this is very strange. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but yeah, and so, and I think they have a great deal of chemistry, and I guess it's understandable as yeah. to why. Um, and then, and I like all the supporting performances. Harvey Keitel plays Mickey Cohen, and he's a delight. Mm-hmm. Ben Kingsley, I think, is very interesting because he his performance is very dialed in, and he doesn't even really come across as menacing because he doesn't have to really mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, and I then f- what? I feel like his was the most interesting. Yeah. Of the. Uh, side performances to me because again there's that thing where he's like part of the mob but he's never really yeah. you only ever see him dealing with business he's in the mob but not of it kind of. <laughs> yeah and you get like just little hints at his history that are yeah. that give him some depth um but the way he composes himself is different yeah. than the rest of the gangsters and i don't know makes him an interesting character and that he is willing to a little bit stick his neck out for uh yeah for Benny. There you go. Well, and they, they were old friends. That's the yeah. other thing. And so everything that, he, that Meyer is seeing Ben do the, the recklessness is something that's like, this is, this is who he's always been. You don't know him. How I, how I know him. It's going to be fine. Um, I'll talk to him. I'll do everything I can. Um, and he's just, he keeps trying to 
apologize for him and explain him, but also, and he still has like some affection for him. There's a really nice moment when, cause Meyer and everybody, they're back in, I think New York and Ben is in Los Angeles. And so Meyer is visiting him. And there's a moment where he says, he's like, I, I miss you, Benny. Like we were old friends, but now you're doing this thing over here. Yeah. Uh, and I just don't see you anymore. And so yeah. it's a, uh, it's a very well-written script, I think as well. I don't yeah, think, I think it so. over explains really anything. No. Um, but it also knows like how to be style, how to be stylish and how to have like a very specific type of old school witty banter mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So, uh, and then it's nice to see Elliot Gould in a very, uh, very sad performance yeah. <laughs> as a guy who is just kind of a low level part of the mob and is not very bright and has made a bad decision. Yeah. Well, and by that ending scene too, it's like, I think he has a mental disability. Like that's I think it kind of the that, feel yeah. that you start to get about it. And he's like, in with all these guys his his brother is also in the mob right because i think, I think that gus it, greenbaum yeah. is one of the guys that comes to oh, the okay. uh to the uh, uh flamingo at the very end of the film um but uh so uh yeah when i re i realized that a little bit later yeah. with the character and i thought oh that's that kind of makes it more interesting. You don't think of that sort of character being yeah. in the mob, but he's just there because the other ones are. And then, the, you know, what's he going to yeah. do? Well, and you kind of get this impression that, you know, these are guys who all, if they didn't officially grow up together, they all kind of grew up in the same neighborhood. Yeah. And you kind of get the impression that like, oh yeah, Harry, he was just part of it and we brought him in, but you know, you can't really trust him with that much. And then sure enough, he, does what people probably was were worried he would do and he needs to be dealt with and nobody takes any joy in it at yeah. all um and it's it's very that scene is very uh, of mice and men as mm, well yeah it is um and so uh and then george uh joe mantegna who plays actor george raft yeah which is fascinating to me um, it's funny because i just said george at first and i was like i wonder if it's george raft and then sure enough yeah and it's and that speaks to and he's an old friend of Bugsy Siegel's. And yeah. so it, it does speak to the world that Bugsy inhabits where he's the, it's the mob thing and Hollywood and he does kind of encompass them both. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is one of the most fascinating things about that era of gangsters is that they were all very much in the public eye and very famous, which I don't, I feel like yeah. that's not a thing that happens so much now. Like, yeah, not really. Can you think of people that are famous for being involved in like organized crime and murder and everything? And we all know who they are, but we're like, well, you know. Yeah, the last one I thought, the last one I know of was John Gotti. Gotti and that yeah. was a long time ago. I mean, the closest thing would be maybe like the uh, like uh, the WikiLeaks guy or something. And even that is not yeah, the that same is a thing at all. Quality yeah. To it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it really is a film that I respond to. Now, you said that there are things that you either didn't like or or were frustrated by or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, some of the, part of it was like the anachronisms thing, which really is sure. not fair to the film. Um, I don't know if that is or not. Like when when you're adapting a life story, I I really am kind of torn on what your responsibility yeah. is to it. Um, I guess I could say maybe there were a few things that I don't think needed to be, uh, out of order the way they were. Sure. Maybe. Um, and the other thing I'm not totally sure how I feel about is, um, how the movie feels about their romance. Yeah. Because I feel like it presents it as almost an always positive thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think it does put it out there, but honestly at the, because Annette Benning is someone that is, 
her character, Virginia Hill, is suspected by the mob of laundering money out of the casino. Yeah. And then at the end, and, and Bugsy stands up for her and that sort of thing. Um, and then at the end, she actually reveals that she did do it, but she didn't do it for her own personal gain. She did it for this other thing. But that's, she did do it, you know? And so I mm. it, it, it casts, for me, when I see that, it's just like, yeah, she's putting a good spin on it, and I think she does still care about Bugsy, but it does cast everything about her in a different light where the suspicions are, in fact, true, regardless mm-hmm. of what her motivations might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I know that uh, shortly after I saw the film for the first time, you know, yeah, I looked all this stuff up as well, and I know yeah. that a lot of people said, like, yeah, Virginia Hill was absolutely <laughs> just a money-grubbing uh, woman who no question – laundered money and got Ben Siegel killed. Um, <laughs> well, and then some, I uh, like some theories too, are that he was totally involved in the skimming the money off the top too. And that like, he was planning to skip country, uh, like get out of town with her eventually when he realized that the casino thing might not go the way he thought it was going right. to. Um, uh, but I, I feel like I always have to kind of wonder about not wonder. That's the wrong word, but I I'm, always a little bit unsure when I feel like a, a mob film doesn't show like, I, I don't know if it, if it glorifies it too much and I can't decide if it does or not because it seems like his, his relationship ends up being a good relationship and it's almost right. tragic that he sure. gets killed and not, um, not as much of a like this this was coming to him this was what he deserved yeah it's it's tough because it does glamorize it this film absolutely glamorizes everything about bugsy because yeah. it's it's definitely trying to capture the essence of bugsy siegel yeah which and i so, think it does well and i like that it does that and i think and he uh, he very clearly sees himself or at least wants to see himself as like this movie star type yeah. guy. And That's so why he does the screen test and yeah. stuff like that. And I love that as well, yeah. that he's just like really he's terrible. At terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and so I do, I, I'm reluctant to say that the film romanticizes it because when we do see what happens with Ellie Gould's character and when we do see him, you know, go after people and, and he's very jealous and very possessive and he beats up Virginia's brother, uh, at just the slightest hint Mm -hmm. that there might be something going on. (laughs) Um, I think he's not seen as a particularly stable person, not somebody I would want to really emulate. And then when you look at the rest of the mob as well, um, and eventually, and the idea that they ultimately do this to him, what it, I, for me, the argument could be like, maybe he doesn't deserve it, but it still happened. Mm. Is this a life you want to live? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but yeah, that's it. It's, it's funny actually in the film history class I'm TAing for to, today. In fact, uh, we watched, uh, a clip from the original Scarface and we were hmm. going through like the production code and like what mm-hmm. you're not allowed to do yeah. in gangster <laughs> movies. And sure enough, there was George Raft there on the screen. Uh, Cause he's in uh, Scarface. I forgot um, about that. So yeah, it's, uh, and so the idea of glamorizing gangsters, uh, Will Hayes would have had a heart attack if he saw Bugsy, <laughs> even though contextually like Bugsy's story is tragic, but I think there's also an inevitability to it. Like you can't, you can't be a part of this world for very long. Yeah. 
and like you, you essentially you can't be divided if you're in the mob, you need to be in the mob first and foremost. You need to be motivated by money and Bugsy is in the mob, but maybe is kind of split and that can't be allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if I'd say it's a, a perfect film, but it is a movie that I do really love. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen the theatrical cut. The, the version I have is a director's cut. Yeah, and that's the one I, yeah. I watched as well. Um, and I do, it, it reminds me also how much I like Barry Levinson as a director, even, yeah. even though he, I, people consider him more of like a journeyman director, right? Than yes, a, I think so. And, and they certainly th- think of him as uneven. I probably do as well. Yeah. But I feel like but he had a good run there for a while. And I feel like regardless of what he's doing, I, 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 I think he knows what he's doing with, yes. he knows how to tell a story visually. And there were a lot of moments in the film where I particularly noticed things like that. Yeah. And you know, and, and then, uh, Ennio Morricone does the, the score. Yeah. And so which like, is great. and this, you know, literally every, so we talk about a movie being like, uh, uh, less or more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. I think Bugsy is probably more than the sum of its parts by which I mean every element of that film from the types of performances that are giving, given to the art direction, to the costumes, to the cinematography, to the music, and then the script itself, it all comes together to really capture the world of not even the 1940s, not even the mob, the specific world of Bugsy Siegel. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and yeah, it, it won two Oscars, best art direction, best costumes, understandably. So it was nominated for many more Um, picture director, actor, supporting actor twice for Harvey Keitel and Ben Kingsley, Mm -hmm. original screenplay, cinematography and score. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, 91 was actually a pretty good year that, uh, you got your JFK, you got your, uh, silence yeah. of the lambs. Yeah. Uh, you've got, uh, beauty and the beast. It's a very eclectic best picture year. I gotta <laughs> say, um, you know, it's, I can imagine the Academy's like, what do I, what do I vote for? Do I vote for the, this beautiful animated film or no, I'm going to do the one where, uh, that guy wears that other guy's face. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, but yeah, and so with Bugsy, we have it, it, with Lost City of Z and Bugsy, we have these guys that are just, you know, it, uh, they are they are from a very specific world, and they just do not seem to belong, mm-hmm. you know, and so they pursue this thing, and history proves them right, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they lose everything as a result. And the people that love them also lose everything as a result. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to talk about that. And, and you know, and I'm reluctant. I don't want to say to someone like, hey, uh, you know, just this goes to show you don't follow your dreams, everybody. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, you know, there's there's stay a, in your lane. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, if we learned anything from uh, It's a Wonderful Life, it's uh, <laughs> keep your expectations low and maybe even then you won't ex- uh, uh, achieve them. Um <laughs> So, but there's a, there's a line in, in Lost City of Z, a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for. And I feel like, well, there it is. That's, that's a more than one lesson episode right there. Mm. Um, this idea that, that if only I discover the Lost City of Z and I prove to everybody else, you know, and I don't think, I don't think Percy Fawcett is looking for personal glory, but he's looking for, for fulfillment. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and Bugsy says like, if only people are able to see what I see, then, you know, my life will have some level of meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that's the thing is, you know, their reach should exceed their grasp. Otherwise, if that, if you can find fuf- a fulfillment, if you can find meaning on something here on in something on earth, uh, even, 
something genuinely great and something noble than like Las Vegas. Like, absolutely. <laughs> it's great. It's noble. It's I've been to Vegas, I think once really in my life, my family took mm. a trip there for a week. Um, and, uh, it was very strange. Like we went to circus circus and it was just creepy. Oh, that's the creepiest, creepiest. One. Um, yeah. how it's even, it's, it's creepier in life than it is in fear and loathing Las Vegas. How's that even possible? <laughs> um, but then, uh, so I, I have some Bible verses here, um, about, you know, putting your, finding your, not merely your identity, but putting your, your yourself and your hopes and your dreams, like putting all of your stock in this thing. Uh, it could be, uh, a career goal. It could be family. Um, but in this case we'll go with stuff that like these lofty goals that are very, that are very noble and very exciting. Um, so one is Mark eight verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Um, and that's, and that's rough. I don't mean to suggest that uh, Percy Fawcett or Bugsy Siegel, that they like lost their souls. Um, in this case, it's their lives. And I'm not going to venture a guess into the other things. I'm a bit more comfortable venturing a guess when it comes to Bugsy Siegel, but you never know. <laughs> um, and so uh, Luke 12, and I believe it's 13 verse, uh, verses 13 through 21 uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an, an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But then God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And so, so many people, you hear about people who want to win an Oscar. You hear about people who want, you know, this, this recognition of achievement and they will give, you know, they'll, they'll give interviews and they achieve like the height of their profession and usually their profession. Mm -hmm. And they say like, yeah, that was really exciting. I'm very happy that that happened. And then I just go back to my life and part of me feels like, how am I get? how do I get that back? Mm -hmm. You know, which speaks to the, that expedition thing. Like he just yeah. keeps going back and you kind of get the impression like in his mind, Percy Fawcett is going back until he proves this thing. It's like, okay, you proved it. Good for you. Are you really going to be content to go back to London with your family at that point? Or are you going to want to go back? Or perhaps you will wind up like James Murray, who could dine out for the rest of his life on that Shackleton thing. But perhaps he wants acclaim. Perhaps he just wants the thrill of adventure and he goes back out and he's not able to do it, mm -hmm. you know? And so who knows what'll happen? Um, and so, you know, you, you're planning ahead towards this thing that you want. And even if you achieve it, you never know when you're, as it says, when your life will be demanded of you, you mm -hmm. never know what'll happen. And when it does happen, like is there's that idea of you can't take it with you. And now, you know, uh, if, here's a fun fact. Uh, my, so my mom recently moved from Missouri to Texas. And so there are a number of boxes with my name on them that, uh, we've been Skyping and she's been going, 
item by item, pulling things out of these boxes and asking if I want to keep them. And uh, I don't mind telling you, there was that plaque that says Best Actor State of Missouri. Oh. I said, you know what? Let's keep that. <laughs> she pulled out a trophy that said, like, second, pla- second place, personal narrative. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> really? I have no clue. <laughs> personal narrative it's like so is that like a thing i wrote hmm. it's the story of your life your story of your life made second place. second place <laughs> no question about it um and uh you know and i'll say this there are seven billion people in the world second place not bad that's, that's but you know right. what i don't remember so <laughs> i just so she's like well it's a trophy you should keep it i said nah i have no memory <laughs> you don't know it. what it's for then yeah. and i have no doubt that at the time, whatever that was, was really important to me. <laughs> and now I have no memory of it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, best picture, uh, sorry, uh, best actors, uh, state of Missouri. That's year not going 2000, anywhere. That's going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> um, you know, that is my legacy. Uh, but, but yeah, it's like, it's literally now, if you win an Oscar, you're probably not going to forget what an Oscar is or <laughs> what you got it for. But in the end, you just, your life is going to keep going and if you put all your faith uh, and all your hope into these things, the, mm. even even if it's an amazing achievement, a genuinely amazing achievement that like changes the world, that's great. But you know, there it, there also tends to be an attitude of what have you done for me lately mm. uh, in the world. So, um, okay, so uh, Matthew six verses nineteen through twenty one: Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, And, you know, and this is talking about uh, physical things and Mm -hmm. possessions, but a physical thing could be anything here on earth that you're striving for. Achievements are the same thing. Yeah. Um, And they can... Something can be taken away from you or it can literally just fade from your memory. Um, but if you're, if you're working towards heaven then, and if you're working towards God and finding, you know, your identity in that, then that doesn't go away. In fact, it only gets more fulfilling and is eventually completely fulfilled. And then you're just living in that. Uh, and so I thought it would, wouldn't hurt to end on this note. This is not from the Bible, by the way. This is from one of our great theologians, Mick Jagger. Uh, You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. And you know what? I've loved that song for a long time, and I only understand it more and more as I get older. (laughs) Um, You know, and so that's the thing is Percy Fawcett wanted something, Bugsy wanted something, and they didn't actually get what they wanted. Bugsy got the casino built, but that's not what he wanted. He mm-hmm. wanted acknowledgement. He wanted it to, to succeed, and then he wanted acknowledgement that it succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what they that's what they wanted. And in a, in a larger cosmic sense, historically, they did get what they wanted, but in the end, they lost everything. Mm-hmm. And so they're not they're not able to enjoy it in any sense of the word. And so yeah. we can be grateful for what they've done. But that doesn't change anything for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, I don't mean to imply that uh, these real men are, uh, you know, these these real life people, uh, you know, d- died, lost, and went to hell. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying that in the in uh, thematically looking at these films and talking about them as films, uh, you know, we can. 
And even though Lost City of Z, it does end on a note of triumph when it comes right down to it, like Percy Fawcett's wife is without a husband and his, his other children are without a father and one of his, and his oldest son is now dead because mm. of this thing that he put so much of his faith into and undoubtedly passed along to his oldest son and, yeah. who, you know, and that, and yes, it would have been interesting to develop that a little bit more this idea that like, maybe if I go with him, maybe then my father will really see me, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like, so that was kind of a, a wasted opportunity, but at the same time, uh, so the film certainly doesn't see this as like a loss. It might see it as tragic, but I don't think, I don't think it sees it as a loss. But if we watch these movies together and see them through the Christian filter, we just see that like there's, these things are, are literally not going to save you, no matter whether you achieve them, no matter what your intentions are, they're not going to save you in a spiritual sense and sometimes in a very real life sense. So, okay, we will go ahead and leave it there. Um, yeah, uh, as I said, if you have the opportunity to see it in the theater, I would say I would say take advantage of it. It's not a, it's it is not, in my opinion, the movie that a lot of critics are saying that it is. Mm -hmm. But I think it is uh, worth watching uh, on a number of levels. So, anyway, all right. Uh, thank you for listening. If you want to comment in the comment section of this episode, then just uh, uh, go to the post on morethanonelesson.com. You can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at morelessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. And then you can like us on Facebook as well. I want to remind everybody to, uh, if you're in the Orlando area, and you know what? When I say Orlando area, I mean any place in the South. <laughs> Just drive on down to Orlando. If you're in Northern Virginia, get yeah. yourself down to Now, I Orlando. recognize that by the time you're hearing this, uh, you know, you're going to have to make some last minute changes to your schedule tomorrow. Yeah, you should have left by now. You should have left by now. <laughs> um, if you're hearing me right now, it's too late. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if, so if you're in the Orlando area, then, uh, come on over to the, uh, Wyndham resort and at uh, three o'clock I will be giving my talk and then I'll just be manning the table the rest of the time. So, uh, swing on by and say hello. And uh, I might actually put you to work at the table while I use the bathroom. I have hey, lunch. There you go. So that's what I did last year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so, all right. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.